When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, welcome to the Snooker Scene Podcast. I'm Dave Hendon. This week, a special edition looking at the life of Ronnie O'Sullivan, who turns 40 this week, a milestone for him. And we're going to look back on his great career, five world titles and all the rest. Sometimes controversial, often brilliant, Ronnie O'Sullivan at 40. Clive Everton alongside me, the editor of Snooker Scene, to look at Ronnie's life and career. The first thing to say, I guess, Clive, is that Ronnie was born at the right time. He grew up in the 1980s in the British snooker boom he lived in Essex, where there was a thriving scene, and very quickly he made an impact, didn't he? Well, he made his first century when he was 10. Uh, he was blessed with uh, a phenomenal degree of hand-eye coordination. Uh, he had a father who had the money to provide him with uh, his own his own snooker room. So th- these were very valuable aids uh, in, in his early career. Um, but however much natural ability uh, anyone has, and no, no one uh, has more than Ronnie, you've still got to work very, very hard on your game uh, to make the most of it. Yeah, this is sort of snooker's nature versus nurture, isn't it? It's uh, how much is natural and how much is hard work. The, the truth is it's a bit of both. Yeah, uh, I, th- I think that the, the, the genius is expressed uh, in bursts of, uh, of inspiration. Uh, underlying it is the hard work, not so much in the days before a tournament, but over a period of years where you, you, you just uh, cement that hand-eye coordination. The central relationship, of course, was with his father, and to, when we look at his career, for good and bad, certainly for good at the start, because his father, if you read his books, you'll know, instilled in him quite a, a, a severe work ethic, but also... A lot of confidence. He had a great confidence in himself, didn't he, Ronnie O'Sullivan, as a young child? Well, he was so good, he was entitled to have some confidence. <laughs> uh, uh, I think his, his father was quite a hard taskmaster. If Ronnie won something, he would say, well, that's history now, it's the next one that, uh, that counts. Maybe he, over, he overdid it a bit, I, I, I don't know, because the, the lasting legacy of that is that Ronnie has at times been excessively self-critical. It's fine to be aware uh, of, of your failings, but, but at times Ronnie has been uh, uh, absurdly self-critical. Sometimes we hear about stories about kids coming through and, and boys who are, who are good at snooker and predictions are made they're going to be world beaters, and they're not always. But O'Sullivan made an immediate impact, didn't he, when he turned pro? He won all those qualifying matches at the Norbrecht, and it was clear very early on that he was the real deal. Well, he won 70 out of 72, his first 72 matches as a, as a, as a professional. Uh, it was absolutely obvious that he was going to be very big. Uh, when he was 16, he looked as if he was about 21. <laughs> uh, I mean, he was just... His talent was so precocious... Um, nobody had ever see, seen anything quite like this in, in a young player before. There'd been always been good young players, but this was something extraordinary. But then the first sign of trouble came, didn't it? Because he qualified for the Crucible, and then immediately 
his father was sent to, to prison for life. Um, and all this was happening in the public eye. Romney had become already quite well-known, very difficult to deal with. Well, it, it's hard enough to deal with what I call the ordinary pressures of a, of a sporting career, but this was, this was truly terrible for Ronnie because he and his father were, and indeed are, uh, uh, so close. Um, Ronnie uh, said how eerie um, the, the, the house uh, felt, um, how eerily empty it felt on the day after uh, Ronnie Senior's trial. Um, and it was it was like a, a, a dislocation of, of the spirit that Ronnie experienced when his father went inside. And that event inevitably did lead to some pretty dark moments for him. And I wanted to talk to you about the, the depression that he suffered from. We we hear more about this uh, condition now than maybe we did twenty years ago, but it's still it's not like you know you've got a broken leg or or even you know cancer you you know someone's ill depression you can't necessarily see can you and I think a lot of people a lot of the time just think Ronnie's sort of just a bit of a moaner. Well I, I don't think so uh, I, I suffered from depression myself and it, it's it's an awful bleak feeling uh, you can't take any pleasure in, in, in anything you, you can't I imagine almost the possibility of, of, of pleasure it just the world just seems so bleak and black uh, and Ronnie suffered from that in spades. So how how does it, how does it affect his sort of playing career? Is it, is it that you know is it a torment and nothing really sort of matters to him? Even he can't take joy from from winning. Can't take joy from winning. Can't can't really feel that it's all that important. He just wants to go away and uh, sort of hole up somewhere. Mm. And. The sort of offshoot of that is the sort of controversies. The first, I suppose, the first big one was at the, the World Championship in 1996 when he assaulted Mike Ganley, who was then the, the press officer, and uh, was lucky, really, I think, not to have been thrown out of the tournament. There was a sort of late night meeting, wasn't there? And John Higgins didn't know even if he was going to be playing the next day. Well, it, it, it was pretty obvious um, what uh, the sponsors' embassy wanted, it was pretty obvious what the BBC wanted. And um, he, he was not thrown out of the tournament. Uh, and uh, John Higgins um, had to play him at 10 o'clock the following morning. What's interesting about that is you look at footage of, of that in 96, and Ronnie is quite sort of bloated. He doesn't look good at all. A year later, when he makes the, the maximum against Mick Price, the one in 5 minutes, 20 seconds, he looks great. He's lost a lot of weight. He's clearly been been exercising and that's the thing isn't it you know he's had some dark moments but because of his talent and because of how well he plays snooker he's always managed to bounce back yes um, he he's his depressions i think as time went on and he, he did see a, a number of specialists in that in that era some of whom helped him some some not so, not, not so much i think his depressions didn't come as often and didn't last quite so long, but he still had he still had them. The question that I guess snooker fans would like answered is what is he like? So what is he like? I I've always thought that Ronnie was a very warm individual. I've never known him do something really mean. His faults are faults of thoughtlessness more than more more than anything else. Um, 
he knows how good he is. Uh, he, he expects to be treated right, as he would see it. Um, and uh, I, I always look forward to seeing to seeing him play. Uh, he, he's, he's very he's, he's a very good loser. I've, I've, I've never heard him really quibble uh, over uh, anything that's gone wrong in, in, in a match. Um, he, he, he's a good sportsman. I think one thing about him is he, he kind of doesn't have a filter. He says what he thinks. Most people, certainly most snooker players, when they talk to, say, the media, you can see they are thinking, what should I say, what shouldn't I say? I don't think that's ever been an issue with him. He will just say what's on his mind, which sometimes lands him in trouble, but I think speaking as journalists, we, find, we think that's great. Uh, I, I rather warm to it, I have to say. Let's look at some of his, uh, some of his great victories. I suppose the first one was the, when he was just 17, just the week before he was... Turned 18, he won the UK Championship against Stephen Hendry. There's two things there. One, it's the UK Championship. But to beat Hendry, who of course at the time was the king of snooker, again, it reaffirmed the fact that you know he was a genuine champion. This wasn't some fluke. He was here to stay. Yes, uh, he showed astonishing maturity. I remember Hendry saying at the time that he, he, he expected him to sort of miss a few when the pressure came on, but, but he didn't. It never happened. He just, just won it. And I guess he, so he's won that and people are thinking, well, he's going to be world champion very soon. It took him a little while, actually. John Higgins was world champion before him. Mark Williams was world champion before him. I guess the Crucible is a completely different test. And certainly if your mind isn't right and you've got problems, it can be very difficult to last the course. But he did eventually in 2001. It was uh, the fulfilment, I guess, of, of a destiny, wasn't it? Well, yes, we can say that here. It, didn't, it wouldn't have felt like that to him. Uh, I, I think he felt that he, he, he ought to win it, and he ought to win it soon. But the pressure of expectation uh, was was enormous. And the first year that he did win it, uh, he, he needed Prozac to get him to the starting line. He was on the he was on the phone to the to the Samaritans before his first match. I think I think w w with Ronnie, it's it, it's the thoughts of a match which do him in. Once he's actually in the match. He's usually all right. I remember he said about that that before the final session they had a parade of champions, which is fair enough. People like to see them, but they also included Jimmy White because they said, "Oh, he's the people's champion." Of course, he was never world champion. And Ronnie was sort of observing this from backstage, and he said himself, "He said I, I never wanted to be like that. I didn't want to come out and get the sympathy round of applause. I wanted to do it properly." And of course. He has gone on and done it properly. He beat John Higgins in that final. I'm going to talk about he's sort of, I guess, a three-way rivalry really with the the class of '92, himself, John, Mark Williams, three outstanding talents, very different men, not necessarily all best pals, but terrific respect between them. Just talk about that rivalry, Clive. You know, three exceptional players. Well, we we have we have O'Sullivan, who is the most technically accomplished player. Uh, the game has ever seen uh, the, the most inspirational uh, his best when he's really flying is is can't can't be matched by anyone else it's not just what he does but the manner of the doing it uh, we have John Higgins who is the supreme percentage player you will never see John Higgins play a wrong shot um, and we have Mark Williams who uh, is is a great is a great competitor, uh, one of the best uh, long potters the game has ever seen, a great scrapper, a great winner of scrappy frames, um, 
and um, the, the, the three of them have had a, a very interesting rivalry over the years with first one and then the other getting the upper hand. And they're all multi-champions, but of course what they've also done is they've all stopped each other winning even more. I mean, you look at their career tallies, you think, well, anyone would take this as a, as a career record, but could have been different, if, even if there's one fewer of them in, involved in the mix. You know, Ronnie could have won eight world titles, maybe. Well, that, that's, that, that's certainly a thought. He's won five as it stands, and uh, I think one of the things about them is that the finals that he won, the Higgins one was reasonably close, but the others weren't, and that means they're not necessarily that memorable. We know that he, he beat Graham Dot, beat Ali Carter a couple of times, that was a little bit closer, but he never really looked like he'd lose. He was pushed quite hard by Barry Hawkins, who played well in that final, but again, you, you always sort of fancied that Ronnie would win. And then, of course, eventually what happened was he lost one to Mark Selby, and I wanted to talk about players he doesn't necessarily like playing against. They all tend to be of a type, don't they? They're, they're the players who play a markedly different game to him. The grinders. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, Selby is a very high-class grinder, I've, I, I've got to say, and uh, he, he's beaten uh, Ronnie more times than Ronnie would like, that's for, that's for sure, and, and he's beaten him from losing positions as well. Is it, is it just a mental thing that he goes into the match sort of not feeling good because he knows it's the sort of snooker he doesn't like? I, I, I don't think so. I think, I think it, it's as the match, deve as the match develops and, and he gets worn down by it. Uh, sometimes it comes into play then. Let's talk about his style of play. I mean, the one thing that people always talk about is the, the, the right and left-handed, the ambidextrousness, which... I think over the years we've sort of taken for granted. I mean, when he first did it, he, he, he did it against Elaine Robert, didn't he, at the Crucible, I think '96. And it's fair to say Elaine wasn't too impressed because he thought he was sort of taking the Mickey out of him. Well, he, he, he did. He did think that, and uh, I think a few other people did as well because they'd never seen him play left-handed and they didn't realise how, how, how good he was left-handed. But uh, he, he really put it into play uh, to maximum. Uh, effect when he played Peter Ebden in the the final of the um, uh, of the Matchroom League one year, where he played almost every shot left-handed. I mean, Ebden w wasn't impressed at all, but uh, there's no arguing with the score. Well, I was going to say, if you if you can do it, what's the problem? I mean, obviously it helps with certain shots. It helps when you have to get the rest out and so on. But if you are that talented, and like you say, you win, why should the other player really object to it? Well. Out of surprise, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, as a player, then, I mean, it seems like an obvious question, really. But what are what are Ronnie's strengths? Well, he, he's immensely fluent. Uh, he, he, he's he's a joy to watch. I I I liken it almost to a, a, a first class lyric of a of a song. That, that there's 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 a, there's a melody to it almost, and and the 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 words drop drop in just the right place. Um, he, he's He's just a joy, a joy to watch when, he, when he's going well. Well, you mentioned Peter Ebden, and of course they had that famous match at the Crucible uh, ten years ago now, 2005, the quarter-final, where Ebden slowed up and slowed up and slowed up, and Ronnie basically went to pieces, didn't he? I mean, what, what do you think about that? Some people would say, well, he should cope with it. Why should Ebden play to Ronnie's strengths? He should play to his own. Not everyone would agree with that, I know. Sad, sad to say that the problem was the referee, uh, the, the late Colin Brindhead, a very, a very good bloke and a very good referee. But he should have stepped in because uh, the, the, the amount of time that Ebden was taking over many shots was, was grossly excessive. 
and uh, I, I think uh, he would have put anybody off, uh, never mind Ronnie. But not everyone would have drawn blood from their forehead by scratching their nails across it. Not everyone would have been sort of standing on the chair at one point. I mean, he, he did go in a big way, didn't he? He, he did, but, but afterwards he, he, he refused to criticise Ebden. He, he said, you know, he, he's, got, he's got a wife and kids, he's got to do what he's got to do, you know, which, which I thought was, was very sporting of him. Yeah, he, he, there's a lot he could have said, wasn't there? But uh, I, w I wonder sometimes whether he's sort of bothered about records. I think maybe the closer you get to breaking records, the more bothered you are. But it, it strikes me he's never really been one to sort of study the history books and worry about all that. He just he, It's just about playing. Yes, uh, and, and the, the feeling he gets from playing at his best, that, that, that's what he's after. He's, he's not one for grinding out results in, in second gear. Of course, famously, he took a year off um, after winning the 2012 World Championship. He played one match in a PTC, and then there was the big soap opera, is he going to come back or not? He did. He won the World Championship. There's two things about that. One, an incredible achievement, and the second is that BBC Sports Personality of the Year didn't, didn't think it was worthy of any sort of comment, let alone a nomination. I think the the BBC's attitude to snooker is very odd. They they they're quick to say that oh it's very successful, gets good figures, but they don't treat snooker and snooker's heroes the same as they treat the heroes of other sports. Because traditionally going into the Crucible, the the, the fav favoured players are the ones who've done well that season, and they've had form under their belt. They've had matches under their belt. He had one match under his belt, which he actually lost. So, put into perspective, in, t in terms of achievement, how, how big that was to win the World Championship, having not played, basically. Put it this way, I can't see anybody else d d doing that. Uh, he, um, I think Ronnie has this innate belief in himself. If, even on just a few weeks' preparation, not having played any matches, if he feels good in himself... He would think, I know how to play this game. I'm, I'm, I'm actually, inwardly, I'm better than these guys. Hmm. You know, I can win this. I think a lot of the other players think that as well. I mean, that's the the other thing, isn't it? Players who play him are playing Ronnie O'Sullivan. It's inescapable. And and if you make a mistake, you know who's coming to the table and what he can do. Well, they they say that once you're at the table. Your opponent can't do anything about it, but if he's in your mind, then in a way he is doing something about it. And uh, I think uh, only his nearest rivals uh, have, have managed to sort of cope with this particular problem. I suppose there's a there's a question here which may be impossible to answer. But why is he so good? What 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 is it about him, his personality, that makes him that good at, at something which a lot of people in the world play and a lot of people reach a certain standard and, and never improve at? Well, even with all his natural ability, his natural hand-eye coordination, he, he's sought out uh, advice on, on, from any, anybody, anybody he can. Ray Reardon did quite a bit, I think, for the tactical side of his game. Uh, he, he's, had, he's been to various technique coaches he, he he's always wanting to to improve it, it, it may seem odd because he, he starts he starts at such a such a high base but he he, he he's actually fascinated by the game and and its technique 
He often says that he was better when he was a teenager. Can that really be true, or is he sort of harking back to maybe a maybe a happier time? I, I think he's harking back to, to to a happier time, and he was very good. And uh, I think there have been times when he's been uh, struggling in his adult career through uh, off-table issues, where he could say quite legitimately that that uh, he, he he was he was better when he was. Uh, when he was in his teens, particularly in sort of break potting, break building, the the those part those parts of the game, he's an incredibly high-profile British sporting figure. But it seems to me he's never wanted to be a celebrity. You know, he doesn't go to all the nightclubs where the paparazzi are and so on. He he doesn't live that sort of life. I think the spotlight sometimes has been difficult for him, hasn't it? It's, it's obviously if you're playing snooker on the television, you're going to become well known. Certainly, if you do, if you win a lot of tournaments, but it's not something he necessarily has sought or all that sort of life. No, I, I think he lives. A, he likes to live a relatively quiet life. He likes his running. It, it, it keeps him uh, keeps him fit. Keeps his, keeps his mind clear to to some extent. I think he overdoes it at times, <laughs> uh, but uh, it, it, overall it, it's it's good it's good for him. Uh, I, I don't think he's he's much of a one for the trappings of success. And also the hanging about at, at venues. Never been a fan of that, has he? No, doesn't doesn't like doesn't like that. So, where does he stand in the in the all time pantheon? It, it comes down to definition, I suppose, but. Greatest player ever, best player ever. How do you how do you put it? Well, the 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 only true test is what somebody has won, uh, and uh, related to the 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 era in which they were they were playing. I mean, I think that uh, the the modern heroes, Hendry, O'Sullivan, Davis, were all considerably better than Joe Davis, who who was still beating the the, the players who, who who were in who were in front of him. Um, so, Hendry in the modern era, seven world, uh, six masters, five UKs, is, is ahead of O'Sullivan on that basis, who's won five world, five UKs, five masters. Um, but if you're talking about somebody actually at his best, it it, be, it does become more subjective. Mm. Um, but I, I I think that that, that Ronnie at his best, is the best. He's not playing right at this moment, but we hope that he, he will return. Many times, Clive, we've been at press conferences where he's basically announced his retirement over the years, I and mean, he was doing it when he was a teenager. Did you ever take any of that seriously? Not, not in the early years, no. It was just a symptom of his dissatisfaction with how he was playing and knowing that he could play an awful lot better. But he, he he has taken time off, and I know that because he, he told me he does actually watch the snooker on the TV. So the, the bond that he has with the game is real, isn't it? It's not something that can just be broken, and he must miss it when he's not playing. Well, I, w- I would have thought so, um, but he he he's only really interested in peak performance. He, he he's not really interested in in struggling his way through. To some title or other, assuming he could even do it, mm. bearing in mind the opposition that he faces these days. But that, in a way, that's sort of a bit of a recipe for unhappiness, isn't it? Because you can't possibly play that well all the time. You know, someone like Mark Williams, quite often in his career, he would scrap through a few rounds and then he'd find real form towards the end of a tournament. But it's impossible to play Ronnie O'Sullivan's best snooker all, all the way through a tournament. 
Well, perhaps I could put it this way: uh, uh, play at a level that satisfies that satisfies him for for the moment. That that's uh, probably more like it. But we've seen him play what we think is brilliant, and he comes off and says, "Oh, that, that wasn't very good." Well, it just shows the it just shows the st the standards he judges himself by, and and sometimes you get people who are very self-critical who criticise themselves before anybody else can, and I wonder if sometimes this is a hangover uh, from his father because his father was a very exacting uh, critic. You know, he he would he would focus on the things that he hadn't done right, <laughs> things that he that, that, that he had. He was always saying, "Well, you know, you've won you've won that, but." Now you go on to the this. It's the next one. Uh, I, I wonder if that was that's been overdone a bit, and it's left a residue with Ronnie uh, of, of an excessive self-criticism. We haven't seen him play obviously for a while because he hasn't played since the World Championship. But have you noticed any any small decline anywhere, or, or, or is he still sort of doing the business as far as you're concerned? Well, uh, as you say, he's not played a match for six months, uh, and. He's been certainly been playing very well in exhibitions, a couple of maximums, five centuries in eight frames, all that sort of thing. But uh, I, I really don't take don't take much much notice of that. The, the, there was a time, maybe about four or five years ago, when his long potting started to started to go. But he, he seemed to get he seemed to get it back. Um, although he, he was fading again towards the end of last season, and it, it's always questionable if somebody steps away from the game. The longer you leave it, the, the the more difficult it is to get it back. I think one thing that that has changed possibly was after when he lost to Mark Selby in the World Final, because as we've already said, he took a year off, he won it again, you know, and, and struck the fear of God into a lot of the other top players, not just the players down the list, but the other top players. But the other top players saw Mark Selby beat him in a World Final. It was noticeable last season. Okay, Ronnie played great to win Champion of Champions and UK Championship, but the Masters in the semi-final, Neil Robertson basically took him apart, he was superb and clearly was not overawed. Then we saw Judd Trump beat him in, the, in that Grand Prix final, we saw Stuart Bingham beat him at the Crucible. I suppose it's a sort of a domino effect in a way, that once players see that he is beatable at the top level, they feel more confident that they can do it. Yeah, it, it, it's always a combination, isn't it, of, of, of somebody playing well and the, and the chap he's beaten playing not so well. And in the, in the latter half of last season, after Christmas in fact, um, O'Sullivan uh, uh, didn't really uh, produce it, produce his best. Mm. You're supposed to sort of decline by by the time you're 40, but we've seen with John Higgins that's not necessarily the case when you're one of the greats. I guess the question really is, how long can Ronnie O'Sullivan carry on? The, the big question is how much desire has he got, uh, and I think it, it's not so much a desire to win titles because that was what was driving Hendry. And in fact, it was driving him mad because <laughs> because uh, the, the reason that Henry retired was that not because he wasn't still a good player, but because he wasn't w winning titles. Uh, O'Sullivan, I don't think, has ever been driven, certainly not to the same extent, by titles. They're nice to win, but but uh, uh, above all, it, it's he's driven by um, the quest for excellence. Mm. And uh, it, it's a question now of, of how long he can actually achieve that excellence. Uh, I don't think he'll be one for scrambling along in, in, in second gear when the, time, uh, when the time does come. When that is, uh, I really don't know. But uh, I would think 
he's got two or three years. He's in very good physical shape. Mm. That, 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 that should help him. But, of course, the day does eventually come for everybody. And it comes when you have to start looking for something else. And, of course, he's, he's got this sort of media career going now with Eurosport. He presents uh, the programme. He's done some punditry. I think a few years ago he would have been an unlikely candidate for that because he wasn't necessarily the most reliable person, maybe. But, actually, he's t- I think he's taken to it really well. And, and the thing is, he is one of those people, when he talks, you do listen. Yes. Uh, and, uh, like you, David, I... I, I, I wouldn't have had him down as somebody who likes to sort of sit in a studio for for two or three hours watching somebody else play mm. and then but but he he does seem to have adapted to it uh, uh, pretty well and uh, I, I think he, I think he he'll always, he'll always love snooker and, and maybe it's a it, maybe it's a good thing that he's uh, he, he's he's dipping his toes in the water of punditry now well a lot of people have opinions on his career some people would argue perhaps with his talent should have won more but you look at the the records and and, and the the achievements and they're substantial finally how would you sum up Ronnie O'Sullivan's career and indeed his importance to snooker he's been a tremendous influence in terms of the publicity that he's drawn to the game um, you could almost argue that in some ways that, that, that he's drawn too much because uh, a lot of the newspapers from their coverage seem to believe that he, he's the only one who can play the game at all uh, but 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 he, he, he has been immense um, like like the, the great figures in in in, in other sports uh, you, you you need these you need these superheroes and uh, uh, for snooker, uh, despite all his trials and tribulations off table, you know, Ronnie has been a superhero. Yeah, and I think it's a great achievement that he's he's kept going because there have been a lot of dark moments that we talked about, but he, he he's still going. Okay, at this very minute he's not playing, but I'm sure he'll come back in uh, 2016. We hope so because uh, we love watching him. Thank you, Clive, for discussing Ronnie O'Sullivan, and happy birthday, happy 40th birthday to Ronnie, and thank you to you all for listening. Sports Social Podcast Network.